When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Um, but if you think about gratitude for a moment, uh, you realize that it can never really be individualistic because in order to be grateful, you have to receive something. And in order to receive something, there has to be a giver of some sort, um, whether it's another person or if it's the universe or the cosmos or nature or God, um, something other than yourself has caused you to stop and have a sense of wonder, appreciation, relief. Something's given you a gift. And so immediately that's about connection. So while we, while we kind of think about gratitude, as an individual practice, ultimately it can never be individual. It's always about our lives being linked with someone or something else. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast, everybody. We are happy to be with you again. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. And today, today, we have a returning guest. Returning, wonderful guest. Yeah, we've been looking forward to this one, and uh, I don't think we thought that it would happen so quickly, because her last book uh, was not that long ago, and she has a new one coming out that's terrific. She cranks him out. Yeah. She's, she's a heck of a writer. So I got a question for you, John. Yeah. Are you down with DBB? Oh, all day. <laughs> yeah, you know me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, if, if people don't already know uh, this, this particular theologian. And uh, she is. And she is. And uh, I love her because she, she digs into that history. Oh, yeah. Um, she's fantastic. We've had her on once before. So go back and check out the prior episode about um, her, her previous book, Grounded. Um, but you're really going to like this episode, too. Yeah, she's, absolutely. She's amazing. So we have uh, Diana freaking Butler, freaking Bass. <laughs> Another triple threat. I just love that that's our thing. <laughs> um, just, I mean, it, it, somebody that uh, if, you're, 
you know, you're kind of coming out of the, you know, conservative haze of, of uh, religious existence and you want some people that are going to continue to be fair and thoughtful and don't seem super agenda driven from another side. Somebody that's just going to like, maybe like an NT right or somebody yeah. like that, that's just going to dig into the history and present it in a way that doesn't seem to be, you know, co-opted by, you know, some kind of powers that be somewhere else. Just give a really good, authentic, honest, compassionate account of things that are going on. I think that you will love everything that this beautiful woman has written. Yep. And um, Christianity for the rest of us blew my mind. Oh, man. Grounded was wonderful. So good. So good. And this new book, um, which has got a really interesting story that we get to in the episode, is called Grateful. Yep. Which, depending on where you're at in your spirituality, um, spiritual practices probably become a little strange. Yeah. Uh, that, that happens. Uh, you know, you... You have your 18,000th quiet time and nothing is, quote, happening. And you're like, gosh, what am I doing wrong? But like one spiritual, like just being grateful. I think that everybody could probably agree that like there's some good juice there. Oh, yeah. Being grateful does something. Yeah. And this book is a wonderful exploration of just gratefulness, being grateful. It's great, man. I love it. I loved it. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. And uh, it is great. It, it, and G-R- I'm great. I'm G R A T E. I'm grateful for her book. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, before we before we get into talking to her, um, this is one of our last episodes before our first ever live event outside of Columbus. So if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, you're from the Denver area, or you're one of these crazy awesome listeners who are flying in from out of state, which is insane to us. Uh, but if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, if you want to uh, come to that event, we have all sorts of cool stuff planned. Um, some surprises. Um, it's just going to be a fun night. We got a really cool venue. Um, it, it's near, um, it's in the heart of uh, downtown Denver near Coors Field where the Rockies play. Um, so I'm pretty, pretty psyched to, to check it out. But um Tickets are at eventbrite.com, or if you go to the events tab on our website, www.thedeconstructionist.com, tickets are only 10 bucks. And, and as Adam said in previous episodes, it's really uh, just to help us uh, foot some of the bill for the venue um, and, and kind of recoup some of that and just have a, a cool space for, for everybody to meet and gather. So yep. grab we those while, like, they're, while they're available. We were going to do it at like a restaurant or a bar, but then we realized that like more than like five people are going to probably come to this and it's going to be like a Saturday night. So yeah. where, in, where in the world are we going to, so we had to like get a venue so we could have the space to be with you guys. Distraction free. Yeah. It's going to be our space. It's going to be so cool. It's going to be so much fun. So, uh, we're gonna April have some, 28th. You're going to have some discounted swag yep. with us. Yep. Get some, get some swag to commemorate the event. Going to have some sweet tunes. Some free hugs. Some free hugs and a special guest. Yeah. Who will be a surprise. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Possibly. We'll see. Oh, there's going to be surprises. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think that's it. Thanks to all our Patreon supporters and uh, everybody else. Um, For now, let's uh, let's roll tape on this. Yeah. Without further ado, here we got uh, Diana. Freaking Butler. Freaking Bass. Right. Well, back by by very popular demand, warm and popular demand, 
We have with us today, Diana Butler-Bass. Diana, thank you so much for coming back on the show. We've been so excited about having you back on. Well, it's great to be with you, Adam and John. Well, the nice thing is, returning guests, we don't have to, to waste time going through your bio and all that sort of thing. People already know who you are. And if they, if they don't, if you're listening for the first time, then you can go back and listen to our first episode um, with Diana and, uh, and catch up on all that good stuff. And you should. And you absolutely should. It's one of my favorite episodes. So, so I go also back think and listen that if you haven't grabbed her book, Grounded. Yes, do that. This whole conversation is going to mean more and way more if you read Diana Bass, Butler Bass's book, Grounded. So you should do that. Absolutely. So, so here we are a year later, and we have a brand new book out. It's called Grateful, uh, The Transformative Power of Giving Thanks. It is an excellent book. Um, I, I think for people who, who love your work, um, they're absolutely going to um, adore it. And for those who, who are new to your work, I think this is a great uh, accessible piece to jump into. Um, and I think it's very, very timely. So what, uh, what about uh, gratitude and gratefulness? What, what, what spurred this on as a, as a topic for, your, for, for this next project here? I think the simplest answer is I realized I wasn't very good at being grateful. And (laughs) that's a terrible thing to confess, but that's actually what the first chapter is called as well, Confessions of an Ingrate. And I I just have struggled with gratitude. And um, for a couple years, I had wanted to write a book about the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And so I was thinking about that long list, joy, mercy, kindness, goodness, all that stuff. Um, that's in those lists in the New Testament. And um, so I was, think- I was thinking about that. I was thinking about character and how to attach my the work I've already done into that subject. So I'm just, I think it's important. And um, when I suggested it to my editor, he said, oh my gosh, do you realize how many of those things are in that verse? And we, we counted them up and there were nine. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and I realized... Oh my goodness gracious, it would take me probably nine years to write a book about nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I decided that I really should pick one thing you know, about, uh, about the character of a deep spiritual life and try to pursue that. And what I wanted to do was pick something that was a challenge for me. And so, so it really came from a personal place in that way. And, um, then a whole bunch of other sorts of cultural things uh, began to catch my attention. But I think the simplest thing is I wasn't very good with it, and I wanted to learn to be better. Man, I, I, in reading the book, I think my, my first inclination was, man, how do, you, how do you write a whole book? I mean, you're Diana Butler-Bass. You can do whatever you want, right? But how do you, how do you write a whole book? on this idea of being grateful. And as I started to even just the, pre- when, when I read the preface, the preface could have been a book. I mean, just the whole, like, you know, breaking down the ethics and the me and the we and, you know, all of these things. And I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, I can see, she could have written volumes on this. Yeah. The, the, at first I wondered the same thing. You know, what am I going to do? Write 200 pages and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, it was like, <laughs> right, right. What, what is this book going to be about? And um, the earliest stages, of course, I spent doing a lot of research. And uh, that was fun because I think one of the hallmarks of my work is that I, I'm trained in theology and church history. And I know those two subjects 
inside out. I mean, those two things are just part of who I am. And so what I've been trying, not trying, what I've been doing over the last uh, decade and a half, almost two decades now, is taking sorts of other bits of culture and putting them in conversation mm. with, with theology and church history. And usually what I am putting in conversation with theology and church history is sociology, mm-hmm. sort of sort of larger trends and how those trends influence us. And sometimes philosophy, um, I've been, you know, very interested in postmodernism and putting that in conversation with my work. Uh, but this book was really about a field I had no awareness even existed. And that is a uh, positive psychology. And, um, you know, it's sort of out of fashion in some ways to put psychology and religion together. Um, in the seventies, that was a big move that a lot of uh, theologians made. Uh, but it's not really been huge, um, in more recent decades. So I, I kind of got fascinated by the fact that, uh, there's so much written right now on happiness and what creates happiness, and then gratitude is is part of that. So, so for me, it began by thinking of this question that I had about Christian character and spiritual practices, and then very quickly I realized that I was moving into a field that I needed to learn. And so I, I spent a lot of time reading and talking to uh, friends of mine who are uh, psychiatrists and psychologists, uh, per, not paying them by the hour for <laughs> my, own, my own need, uh, but uh, learning from them. And um, it's it's really a fascinating subject right now. And even when you say positive psychology, it sounds like sort of a pop kind of culture thing. Right, right. But it it isn't. It's a serious academic study on, you know, how people can thrive um, in the world and how we can find happiness and just have uh, better lives. And so gratitude is part of that. And and that was exciting for me. And as soon as I began to realize there was this amazing um, subject matter that I didn't know much about, and I began to then reread uh, specifically the New Testament, but I also reach into the Hebrew scriptures as well. I began to see um, the narratives of scripture somewhat differently than I had before mm. when I was th- thinking about it through the lens of gratitude and uh, human uh, y- human development and human joy. And so, so it was a pretty exciting project. And, you know, I probably could have written 500 pages instead of 200, <laughs> but, but then nobody would read it. So, <laughs> yes. I'm a, I'm a sucker for subtitles. So I, f- I found your subtitle, you know, very engaging. And then, you know, getting into the book, I was like, man, where's she going to go with this? Like, it's not just a study of, of being grateful or gratitude. You know, you, the subtitle is the transformative power of giving thanks. And for me, when I started reading it and I'm looking into how it just in the very beginning of the book, you, you set up something that I didn't expect that there's an emotional aspect, an ethical aspect, but then there's also like a personal and a collective and you use a little pie chart and you kind of break down like structurally, like how all of these things talk to each other and how we can experience, you know, or how, you know, the whole is, is really, you know, what needs to be looked at. So when you talk about how gratitude is transformative, you know, it's part of the title of the book, are you talking about transforming ourselves and culture? And then, you know, how does emotions and ethics, how do these all interact? There's so much there. 
Um, the, we we fought quite a bit about the the subtitle at the publishing house, um, which I I wasn't actually convinced that that was the best subtitle. So it's really great for me to hear you say this. Um, the the piece that is transformative, of course, is that it's about changing ourselves and changing the world around us. Mm. And, um, that's really what a lot of my work has been about. You know, I've focused on churches and congregations Mm -hmm. and how being part of those sorts of communities, those sorts of faith communities can make us different people and can also change our communities. And so this is a consistent interest of mine, you know, is how do we grow and mature and become deeper, more loving, compassionate people and then how do we take those things and bridge them into the world around us to make the world different? Mm. So it's it's the same kind of framework I've had throughout my work. But this one is, it, it comes out, I think, I'm trying to figure out how to say this. Um, I think this is a kind of a more logical and accessible vision of that mm. um, than some of my other work. And uh, the piece that you're talking about, is getting our minds around the fact that gratitude is complex. Mm. And what happens, of course, and I mentioned this in the book, is that there was a survey. And mm-hmm. uh, yep. it, was, it was done by Pew. And Pew said, have you in the last week uh, felt a strong sense of gratitude? And 78% of Americans said that they felt grateful mm. in, the last, in the last week. And I was stunned by that number. Eight out of ten people. You can't get eight out of ten people to agree on anything. No, that's true. Uh, yeah. And, and so um, so I really began to wonder, you know, well, what are people thinking about when they answer that question? Because I'm sure that not everybody who said yes meant the exact same thing. So uh, one of the things that I did in the wake of reading that survey was, I, you know, I just sort of asked my Facebook friends and you know, I have this big Facebook community <laughs> and, and I was really stunned. I asked people, I said, what do you think of, or how do you define uh, the word gratitude? And um, I, maybe, you know, 200 people answered and there were something like 50 or so different kinds of answers is that there were, there were a few that were about ethics. There were a few that were about doing justice. There were a lot about feelings, um, but people had, were across the board in their definitional categories. And so that was what really made me s- sort of take stock and uh, begin to think about, okay, how can I conceptualize this that it makes sense to me? And that's when I came up with that fourfold um, sort of graph that you're yes. refer- referring to. Yeah. And it's, it's very simple in the longer term is that gratitude is both a feeling and it's an action. Mm. And it's about us as individuals, and it's about our communities. And so those four dimensions uh, create, I think, a complexity and also at the same time a simplicity of understanding gratitude that can help us move along a path of transformation. Mm. That's so good. So you talk about the fact that gratefulness can lead to greater connection both with God and with others. What what do you mean by that? Unpack that a little. Mm. Well, I think one of the most interesting things about gratitude is that even though we talk about it oftentimes on a really individualistic basis, um, 
I felt grateful or, you know, there's a lot of really wonderful gratitude books that you can buy pretty much, you know, in any bookstore. And uh, most of those books are about cultivating individual practices of gratitude and a sort of an individual disposition of gratitude. Mm -hmm. And we, and we need that because it really is truly about us. Um, But if you think about gratitude for a moment, uh, you realize that it can never really be individualistic because in order to be grateful, you have to receive something. And in order to receive something, there has to be a giver of some sort, Mm. Um, whether it's another person or if it's the universe or the cosmos or nature or God. um, Something other than yourself has caused you to stop and have a sense of wonder, appreciation, relief. Something's given you a gift. And so immediately that's about connection. So while we... while we kind of think about gratitude as an individual practice, ultimately it can never be individual. It's always about our lives being linked with someone or something else. So it's almost like, you know, that, that experience of, you know, what, like, yeah, like you said, whether it's the universe or, you know, God or, you know, whatever, but that experience of like, oh my gosh, like, how could I have ever deserved this? Like it, once you realize like, I I don't deserve this, I couldn't deserve this being here, just breathing in and out, that initial realization immediately starts to compel you to look around like, okay, what now what can I do to almost fulfill that feeling, that, that experience? Like, well, how can I, how can I bring it to some kind of completion? How can I take it to the next level? Whatever you want to call it. That's, that's the cycle, right? Yeah. I think that one of the things that happens is when, when we get a gift, the, we have some sort of emotional response Mm -hmm. generally to that. And, um, on occasion, uh, it's a negative response. Like I was, I was preaching this last weekend and, um, I I don't know when the, your podcast will come up, but it was a, it was in the lectionary the weekend during Lent Mm -hmm. where the, where God gives the people of Israel manna and they say, Ooh, this stuff tastes awful. (laughs) (laughs) We hate this. Don't give us any more of this. And, and you can, and so God gives a gift, and what happens is the people of Israel refuse the gift, and in the process they get bit by snakes and all kinds of other weird stuff happens in that text. Um, but sometimes that's our response: is that we get a gift and we say, "Nah, no, thank you." Right. Um, but usually, when we get a gift, it's more like, oh, "Somebody gave me a gift! Oh my gosh!" You know. Um, how could how could it be that this person thought of me or understood that I was feeling sad or um, knew what I needed at a particular moment? And when that happens, the typical response is this emotional response, this of of uh, of what we call gratitude, and it's usually a response of a simple kindness, you know, responding to somebody's kindness towards us, or it's a response of I matter, 
you know, there's this really interesting moment when you get a gift and someone has paid attention to you and you say, and you realize that your life and you, and your happiness matters to somebody else. And those feelings that rush forth, it's almost like we don't even have to conjure them up. Um, that is the emotional response of gratitude, um, right there. And the question becomes, well, what do we do with that? You know, because any of us can, and, and often do have that emotional response. According to Pew, 78% of us <laughs> felt, uh, felt that in the last one. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, but then how does that move from being uh, that momentary feeling of surprise uh, towards something that's more deeply meaningful and shapes our character? Mm. So, so I think that you know, it, gratitude is natural. It's human. I think it's one of the most primal responses to being a human being. Um, it shows up in every religious tradition as a really significant part of what it means to be a person of faith. Mm. Um, and, um, yet we still often kind of take it for granted. And, and so that's one of the things that I think this little book does is it lifts it towards our attention and says, okay, so you have these feelings, what do we do with them? So, uh, we were, we were kind of chatting about this before we started to record, but, um, yeah, specifically, you know, a, a lot of our, the majority of our audience happens to be from the United States and, and gratitude almost seems to be something that is kind of almost disappearing from our culture, maybe. And it, we seem very kind of ingrained in this capitalistic attitude where it's like more, 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 you know, what, 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 how can I collect more things and more, you know, material objects and that sort of thing. And so, so gratitude kind of seems almost, um, you know, secondary or, you know, almost, um, you know, kind of a forgotten about, uh, act, uh, within our, our practices. And, and you have this quote in, 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 your, in your book that really stuck with me. And, it, and you say, when people lack gratitude, something is missing in their humanity. People can almost be defined by their attitude toward gratitude. So how do we, how do we fix that? Well, I think this idea of paying attention is sort of the first step in that, along that pathway. And when it comes to Americans and gratitude, I... I it's kind of fascinating because the most American of all holidays is Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know, it, it's yeah. the one holiday that we completely invented from nothing. My, right. It's my favorite <laughs> holiday. It's the best holiday. I, I, love, I actually think it is too. I and love it's, it. so, it's so ignored. It makes me really sad. Oh, it's so good. And, and so, um, you know, so here's this holiday that we created and that carries some of our, our deepest kind of mythological idealism about who we want to be. Um, and so, you know, you think of the primal image of, of um, Thanksgiving in the American sort of soul, and it's uh, the natives and Europeans sitting at a table together sharing food. Now, we know it didn't happen that way, and we know that sharing food was a nice thing, but that's not really what that encounter between natives and Europeans resulted in. It resulted right. in genocide of millions and millions of people. And so I keep, I've always wondered about that, you know, so why do we keep this holiday? Right. You know, Cause it sort of condemns us as your, if you're a European background person, it's, it's like, don't, you know, maybe we shouldn't mention this <laughs> yeah. holiday. Right. Um, but yet what happens with these kinds of holidays is that they are icons of what we want to be. Man. And, and so Thanksgiving 
is really the dream. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, of what of what we imagined we were doing in coming to this continent and establishing this nation. And that was the capacity to sit around a table with a lot of people who were who were different than ourselves and share the good gifts of the earth. And so so for me that becomes okay, it it is a myth, it's something we didn't do. Um but we've held on to it. And so the question, the challenge before us is then how do we do better? Mm. And how do we how do we take it from the area of mythology and turn it into a way of being for the future? So so to me that that's a very conflicted thing right at the heart of American identity is that while we certainly have this vision of materialism and and consumption and getting stuff and all this sort of thing. Uh, we also have this beautiful, tender and amazing holiday that we, we love and we cherish and we basically created, um, as a pathway of thinking about ourselves. So, so can we live into the best part of that story, um, is a challenge. I feel like that entire reflection on Thanksgiving could have been ripped out of context and applied completely and directly to the Eucharist. You know, this meal may or may not have happened in history. It doesn't even matter, but it's become a symbol. We've held on to it. It's tender and it's surrounded by the clamor of consumeristic, you know, Christianity. And if we could just, man, I, look at the connections there. Yeah, it's, it's very powerful. And um, I, I think some of my readers might be surprised when they go to the book and think, oh, she's going to write a lot about the Eucharist. Um, I, I didn't. I wrote a, a section on the Eucharist, but what that connection that you just made is one that I really hope that most Christians will make. Mm. And that is it not only at the center of American identity, do we have the idea of Thanksgiving, but the very heart and soul of Christian identity is the idea of Eucharist. And, um, you know, I love the idea uh, what that word means in Greek, you know, you, EU means well, and charis is grace. And so at the center of Christian life is a meal around a table Mm -hmm. that is about being well-graced or having good gratitude. And um, every, if you are in a liturgical church, you know, every single week, that's what you're doing is you're reenacting a vision of what it means to be well-graced and um, if you go to a Presbyterian or Methodist or, or Baptist or churches where there's less frequent celebration, and you only call it the Lord's Supper and you don't think about it as Eucharist, um, I would suggest that you change the name. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. Because, you know, just because Catholics and Lutherans and Episcopalians have chosen to call it Eucharist doesn't mean that that's a bad idea. And um, so, <laughs> so, you know, other Protestant or other Protestant groups have sort of stripped away uh, the dimensions of gratitude from the meal, I think, simply by renaming it and calling it communion or the Lord's Supper, which are fine historical choices. And I understand why they were made. But at the heart of it, it's still about Thanksgiving. And so, so. The, the, the piece that gets to me, guys, is that this double sort of layered identity mm. 
as Americans and as Christians means we should be the most thankful people on the planet. Uh. <laughs> no, I was, I was thinking about that the other day. I mean, I was, I, you know, I have a job in the professional sector, so I'm always on like LinkedIn and stuff and looking at all this like business and motivational stuff and most of it's terrible, but that sounds um, awful. There was this, there was this little <laughs> video recently and, uh, this guy that I like who started off as a wine critic and now he's like a business guy. He's great. Um, was talking about how, it, you know, if you're here and especially if you're in America, like if you are alive and you are a human being and you're, you have won the cosmic and historic lottery. Like, yes, you have. Yeah. You have it. You have indoor plumbing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like how can you not be motivated? If you just think about that for one second, like how yeah. can you not want to like get out there and like, you know, be the best you can be and all that. It's just, Made me think of that when you were talking. I, I think you're right. There is a double layered, especially of those of us that are Christians. It's like, come on, grat this. But familiarity breeds contempt, doesn't it? Well, I think that lack of attention probably breeds contempt. Yeah. And, and so much of the work that I've done has been to remind people to be more intentional mm. uh, about the presence of God in the world, about spiritual practices, about community, about you know, the, the things that really give us life and love. And so what I, the problem with gratitude, I think, um, you know, and I do talk about this in the book is that we, it, not only is it complex and I try to, as I said, sort through that complexity by coming up with this easy to understand rather simple structure of imagining it in these four quadrants, uh, but there's a second problem, and that second problem is tied up in several of the things that you just said, and that is the idea that we should be grateful. Mm, nothing, kills you know, a, well, nothing kills it quicker. That's exactly right. And while I appreciate, you know, what I, you know, the joke I just made about indoor plumbing, you know, yes, we have won the lottery of history. If you're in America right now, and you know, indoor plumbing, and you have a life, and there's clean water, and you know, just all the kinds of amazing things we, we do take for granted. As soon as somebody walks in the room and says, you should be grateful. That's just, that is the death knell to gratitude. And part of the reason why is that oftentimes gratitude has been used as a tool uh, by people who are very powerful to keep uh, people who have less power in line. Mm. And so while, yes, it's, it's so true that gratitude should, should be part of our lives, as soon as somebody tells you that it must be part of your life, and especially if that person happens to be richer than you or have a better job than you or maybe is whiter than you or maler than you or whatever, um, it begins to feel like, oh, you're just saying that as a way of keeping me down. And so gratitude, there are forms of gratitude that can be deeply oppressive and also um, they can stop, or at least uh, I, I call them corrupted forms of gratitude, but they can also inhibit justice and they are attempts at, con at political and social control. And so a lot of Americans, I think, are aware of that and... Um, they don't want to participate in that. So that's one of our other kind of, I think, difficult feelings about gratitude is yeah. that, 
You know, somebody gives you a gift and they're trying to control you. So we think in terms of lobbyists and quid pro quo and all those kinds of things. And um, that's all the, the, the negative side of gratitude, which I do deal with in the book. Yeah. yeah. Even, even like the conversation around guns and gun control right now, if you think about like half the arguments out there, somebody's like, well, it was a gun that gave you the privilege to be here. And, you know, it's like, well, so I'm supposed to say thank you and we should all just keep not questioning this? Are you, are you using gratitude against me at this point? Like what? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's what, yeah. that's what they're doing. And, um, I, I try to touch it lightly in the book, um, because I'm constantly being accused every book I ever write of she's, she, her work is too political or her work is too liberal. Um, and, and you know, no, Anybody who follows me or knows anything about what I've written knows that it's like no secret that I happen to be a pretty liberal Democrat. And uh, <laughs> it's like the worst kept secret in America. Oh my yeah. gosh, you can't be a theologian no. and a Democrat. Yeah. You can't be a Christian and be one at the same time. Preposterous. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so anyway, people always make that charge at me. But one of the things that is really important about this book is that um, gratitude is always deeply political, and it's been deeply political in a long, for a long time in America. Mm-hmm. The, the example of the Native people and the Europeans around the Thanksgiving table, that's a mythology about who we're supposed to be as a community, and that is politics. That is thinking about yep. what kind of nation we should be. And to go to um, – I think, Adam, you were the one who asked the question about the guns um, – yeah. And so it was, uh, we can back up a little bit. And one of the chief political arguments in the 19th century that was used against the slaves was the fact that the slaves should be grateful that they were brought to America, where they had roofs over their head, they could live in these nice estates, even though they had the little cottages on the estate. Right. <laughs> the, the little hovels on the estate. Um, uh, even though they, but they had a roof over their head, they were given clothes, the master fed them, you know, maybe twice a day if they were lucky, um, but they could eat. And guess what else? The master introduced them to Christianity. And so, hey. Oh my gosh. It was the whole, there's an entire literature in sermons and theology about how the slaves need to learn gratitude, to be grateful. And, um, you know, if they weren't, that was, you know, if you didn't say thank you, master, you, you could get whipped or worse. Yeah. And, and, and so that kind of structure of gratitude is a structure of control. You should be thankful because we have deigned to give you these few gifts, these crumbs from our table, and just, you know, know your place and set, send, send me flowers, at, you know, as thanks. And, and so what is happening right now, as I'm deeply convinced, is that we're actually having an, argu- argu- an argument excuse me, over gratitude in our politics. Yeah, and, and so that's a kind of a long way of getting back to your question, but it's a really important way. That, that slavery piece is so important, especially for white people to understand how black people, how gratitude was used against black people and minority populations. Um, so, but we're, right now, 
gratitude is a really important part of our political argument that we're having. And so in the book, I touch on uh, gratitude and the way that Donald Trump uses gratitude. Mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah. That part was memorable. <laughs> <laughs> memorable. <laughs> well, it was astonishing when I realized it. And that, like I said, I touch on it lightly in the book, but I'm really looking forward to, you know, preaching sermons and doing podcasts like this and speaking about it yeah, a give, lot. Give it to us. Give it to us. And uh, <laughs> give it to <laughs> <Come> you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the, because, um, you know, I talk in the book just about some uh, speeches that Trump made, mostly during the primary season. But since then, it, you know, it's it's like every week there is some tweet where he's calling somebody an ingrate or saying what a terrible person someone is because they didn't say thank you or that people don't appreciate him enough. Loyalty. Uh, loyalty. Yeah, that's a big one. Loyalty. I mean, that's a big part about gratitude is if a person is your benefactor, gives you a gift, then you are required to return to that person loyalty. It's like the mafia. Yeah. No, it's exactly like the mafia. (laughs) (laughs) It's exactly what it is. Um, And um, that's how gratitude has sometimes been structured into politics. That there's a benefactor on the top of some political structure, a family, um, whatever. And that benefactor then distributes gifts throughout every the whole system, everybody who's beneath him, or it's usually always a him. And so then what happens is that everybody in the system is required to give their loyalty back and not question the benefactor. And that loyalty is a payment of gratitude. It, it, loyalty discharges the debt of gratitude for the mm-hmm. gift. And so, you know, with, with Trump, it's, uh, you know, I think about him, he called the mayor of San Juan an ingrate. Yep. UCLA basketball players weren't thankful enough, so they were terrible people. The Republican um, National Committee, it, it was interesting. I'm pretty sure the commercial was produced by them, but at Christmas time, they put out a, a commercial in a whole bunch of markets um, which was just people going around saying, thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Mr. President. And it was all, it ended up with a, a picture of a, of a young woman uh, saying, thank you, Mr. President, that we can say Merry Christmas again. And I mean, it was stunning to me to see that, that gratitude has been grafted into uh, this particular political moment. Hmm. And, what has happened, of course, is that there's no response from people who disagree with that, that use of gratitude. You know, there's, there's been some ridicule of it. Uh, but there, the question that should arise in all our minds is, well, what's the alternative? Mm, right. You know, do we not say thank you? Um, do we laugh at Donald Trump? Do we think of him as a mafiosa boss? You know, how do we deal with this? And the reality is, is that he's drawing off of a a political structure of gratitude that's extraordinarily dangerous. Um, And there are alternative structures. What makes you think we put out the fire? When daylight sank, it just made us brighter. Oh man. 
That's so, where that's where we go. That's what we do here. That's right. <laughs> I wanna I wanna keep going with the with the the harder times when it is to be grateful, or yeah. the, the the more difficult moments of uh, gratefulness. And and I think you give two really good examples in the book. And um, I really identified with uh, with the first one where you talk about a personal story about when you lost a teaching job. And I, I think you, I can't remember exactly if you were talking with a friend or, or you were talking with some, someone else who had gone through a similar experience and he, and he told you, just wait, you will, you will be grateful in the long term. And just like I'm reading this, I'm like, what? You know, if, if someone had told me that in the moment, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I got to figure out where my next paycheck's going to come from. And, and he's telling you, just don't worry, just wait. And, and something will be revealed to you. You, you will, something will come of this. And so it's, it's easy in the moments where everything's going swimmingly, you know, to be grateful and say, oh, life is great right now. You know, I'm grateful for, you know, this roof over my head and the, the, the job that I have. But when things really stink, when things are really hitting the bottom for those people out there, like that, what, how do you, how do you even enter into like even, even the beginning parts of, of becoming grateful? in those moments. Mm. Well, that, that same person actually said to me that he, you know, he had been through something very similar and the way that he got through it was by every single day, finding one thing to be grateful for. And, you know, I kind of looked at him at the moment and thought he was absolutely crazy. And, and he, he said, just one thing, just at the end of the day, think about that one thing. And he said, write it down. And, um, I thought, well, you know, it couldn't really be worse. I, I, w- I was having visions of being a bag lady in Santa Barbara, California <laughs> <laughs> with an entire shopping cart full of Carl Bart and living at the beach. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and, You'd need a shopping cart. You'd need a shopping cart for the Carl most Bart. well-read yeah, person on the beach that day. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I mean, it was, it was terrible. I, people, you know, I, I think that a lot of people look at it a writer like myself and, you know, white lady, blonde hair, seems healthy, writes books. She's had an easy life. And the truth of it is, is that no, (laughs) I have not. And that, and that job loss was one of my worst moments because it also came on top of getting a divorce. And, um, I was $35,000 in debt. And this is in the early 1990s when that number should have been, you know, would translate today into probably about one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. Yeah, and um, I just I had no paycheck. I, I literally did not know where my next uh, meal was going to come from. I didn't know if I could pay my rent. Anything. Uh, it was really a desperate situation, and so I just there was no option except to put one foot in front of the other and just keep moving as I could um, ahead. And um, I took his advice because I just didn't know what else to do about my own emotional sort of side of everything. And so I just started that. I started paying attention to one thing every day that I should be grateful for. And um, that journal that I kept in those years, I kept that journal for about three years. um, It really became a, a lifeline for me. And one of the things that I discovered was that if you pay attention to one thing you're grateful for, that it's it's almost exponential. Um, it becomes easier to pay attention to more good things. And once you pay attention to more good things, um, stuff really does begin to shift. 
And uh, when I was talking earlier on about uh, positive psychology, one of the things that's not in the book, which I just happened to have, you know, I, I learned along the way, but it just didn't seem necessary to put it in the book, was that we tend to have as human beings, what is called a negativity bias. Mm. And that, that is, we will notice in the short term, at least, um, everything that is scare, scary and, and, um, could hurt us. Yeah. And that's, you know, it makes sense in terms of evolution. You know, if there's a, if there's a lion coming after you, um, it's a good thing to pay attention to that, you, pay <laughs> yeah. to, you know, to the negative thing that's your going footsteps. on. Your footsteps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. Cause you, you know, you got to save yourself. Um, and so what has happened to us as human beings is that, that negativity bias, especially in the cultures we live in today is a lot less productive and um, it often it, it creates bad stress and it um, deflects our attention away from the gifts that are all around us. And so uh, I think that when we look at who we are and how we deal with stress, um, it's, it's in this whole area of positive psychology, uh, researchers have discovered that 50% of what happens to us um, happens to us out of our our genes, our how we've been nurtured, you know, sort of the stuff that's been built into our lives. About ten percent of what happens to us is based on our situations, and forty percent of what happens to us is based on our choices. Mm. And so, yeah. The, so that doesn't mean like if you get cancer, you made a bad choice. That's as a matter of fact, psychiatrists and psychologists are so far away from that. They don't ever want anybody to think that because that that's your genes, right. you know, or, or whatever it is that happened to have brought you into a really scary situation. So that's like 60% of what's going on in your life. But then there's 40%. And the 40% is how, how, what do you see and how do you re- react? And so, um, knowing that the negativity bias is there, that you're naturally going to jump toward, um, the really scary feeling. If you begin to think about gratitude, what it does is it deflects you away from the scary thing and gives you a chance to think about something else. And as soon as you think about something else, you're creating space within that 40% for a whole different set of reactions. And if you can build up that 40%, you really can be more resilient to situational crises and also toward um, the proclivities and dispositions of your health and your own phys- physical physical being. So, so it's a pretty exciting concept, you know, um, mm. is to take gratitude um, and to help it work that 40% and say, okay, yeah, I'm not going to focus on starving today. I'm going to try to focus on, you know, something else. And, um, you know, if you're really starving, of course, it's a good idea to go and find a food pantry or something. Absolutely. Uh, but the, the truth of it is, is that there are food pantries there. And, and hopefully, or there is somebody who's going to give you a meal, you know, and if you can kind of see your way to that next space, you know, hopefully you can avail yourself of those kinds of choices. 
Um, so, so anyway, it's, I'm not talking here about a sort of a prosperity gospel, but I'm talking about really building up a capacity for seeing, um, our lives more clearly and with a, a sort of a better sense of resilience. And once I did that, it was interesting because I realized I lived in a beautiful place. I had friends who really cared about me. Um, there were opportunities that I might have missed if I wasn't learning to open my eyes. I could have sat in my little cottage until I was evicted, you know, crying my eyes out. Um, but I, I, I didn't, I tried to connect with new people and, and, and it was a pretty exciting time in my own life, um, as sort of a slow turnaround. Um, but it was also kind of interesting too. I look back on those days and gosh, you know, I was living off of a very small amount of money a year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I still wonder how that happened. Um, and, uh, yet it did. And, and, and here I am, you know, 25, 30 years hence that horrible experience and, and, um, life's been good. And I learned a lot from, from that period. Mm. So much we could talk about even there, but I'm dying to ask you this question because one of my favorite points in the book is when you start, when you bring the story of Zacchaeus in, which totally was not expecting. I mean, that's been relegated to Sunday school lessons for the most part, you know, (laughs) for me. But um, here's where my nerdy brain went when you started talking about Zacchaeus and and this idea of the system that was surrounding that whole story. So there's this Roman system, benefactors and beneficiaries and this whole social structure of oppression. And Zacchaeus is participating in that. And here Jesus, you know, comes calling him not just out of the tree, but calling him out of this corrupt society. So where my nerd, nerdy brain went with this is reflecting on the fact that giving, so this book is called Grateful and it's about giving and receiving and giving often produces a system that destroys the idea of what a gift is. You know, it, like you talk about like quid pro quo, these systems of oppression. So, you know, giving itself or, you know, we're giving you roads, we're giving you military protection, we're giving you this, we're giving you that, but, but, but you're expecting and this whole idea of quid pro quo and oppression has destroyed exactly what a gift is supposed to be. And one of my favorite kind of liberal theologians, you know, that you're probably in good company with is Jack Caputo. And Jack talks about, Caputo talks about the idea of a gift. If we really got it, he says, you know, if, if that thing exists, if it exists, it would produce a mad economy. It would fracture all the, all the quid pro quo. It would, <laughs> It would set all the debtors free. You know, it would, the, the, yep. the pure idea of a gift is no strings attached, which we feel like we have to say now if we give a gift, right? It's like, oh, I'm giving it to you, but no strings attached. Like, have to actually qualify it. Mm-hmm. So, so talk to us about, like, this whole idea of if we understood gratitude, especially as Christians, and how the story of Zacchaeus can come in and deconstruct Humble, humble plug, word. <laughs> and deconstruct uh, our our broken and and really corrupted ideas of giving. Yeah, the 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 Zacchaeus story was a surprise to me. It I was literally a guest preacher in a church, and that oh. happened to be the the electionary text that was assigned that that weekend. That's brilliant. I love it. And and it was it was a stunning set of revelations for me because I was already I was already working on the gratitude book. And I thought to myself, oh, Zacchaeus, what's this got to do with gratitude? Mm. And, um, 
then I reread the text and I realized, oh my gosh, it has everything to do with gratitude because the structure that Jesus was, that this whole encounter happened in was, uh, you know, essentially the, the Roman structure of gratitude, which you used the mafia family structure mm-hmm. a minute ago. The, the reason there's a mafia is because we had a Roman empire and the, the mafia is sort of the last, it, it's a very intentional um, last breath, in a sense, of the political structure of the ancient Roman Empire. Wow. <laughs> Where there was a, you know, Caesar was on the top, and Caesar gave all these gifts, and now you have the mafia dad, you know, who does that, the godfather. Um, but once upon a time, that was Caesar. And so that structure of gifts and and loyalty was the structure that was around the Jesus and Zacchaeus encounter. And of course, Jesus calls Zacchaeus out of the tree, he calls him down out of the system. And yes. then, and then Jesus invites himself uh, for dinner with Zacchaeus, which is stunning because dinner invitations were one of the main bits of gratitude currency in the ancient Roman world. And so what a dinner invitation was is that a higher status person would either invite all the people who were in his same status um, to dinner, or if you were really sort of generous and you wanted to control the people underneath of you, you might think about inviting someone who was poorer to a dinner, and that way that person would owe you something. Mm. Um, and so, so dinner invitations were a way of maintaining status and, and um offering sorts of, and creating environments of quid pro quo, um, or they were ways of social control. But what never happened in the ancient world is that a lower status person was never allowed to invite a higher status person to dinner. Because how would that work? Right. It would, I, that would break everything. Yeah, it, it would break everything. And so in the, in the story, of course, as Jesus says, Zacchaeus, you come down out of the tree so get out of that structure, and then he says, and I'm coming to dinner at your house. And so if you didn't think it was political first, um, by the time Jesus is inviting himself to dinner, everybody who's watching this thing happen knows that it's political. They think Jesus is going to get thrown in jail uh, for inviting himself to Zacchaeus' house because, uh, you know, we think, oh, Jesus was a rabbi, and he was Jesus, and so he's higher status. No, he was an oppressed peasant, and he was lower status mm. than a tax tax collector of Zacchaeus. And so, um, so in that whole exchange, Jesus is really top. In a sense, it's the same thing that happens when Jesus goes into the temple and throws over the tables of the money changers. Um, is that Jesus doesn't just throw over the tables because he's mad. Jesus, Jesus is throwing over the tables because he's making room for a new table. Mm. And this is a table where status disappears, where gifts of food and grace are simply passed around without any reference to the hierarchical structure of the Roman Empire. And if you create a table of gratitude like that, the idea, of course, is that it destabilizes the pyramids of quid pro quo and control and offers an alternative vision of what gratitude means. And and gratitude is about a table. So the table, all throughout, you know, what Jesus did with the table, what Paul did with the table, what the early Christians did with the table, was not this nice, sterile, you know, glowing, beautiful, pretty, religious thing that people did. It was a subversive, revolutionary 
act of saying, no, I don't need to storm the castle. I'm just going to wreck the system from the inside out and show them that there's a better way. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, because we really do see it as just like, oh, isn't that sweet? He invited him to dinner. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> no, it's, it's like, and it's wonderful because um, in a, in the Zacchaeus story, you know, that's what really does upset the crowd. But Jesus has a lot to say about dinner invitations. You know, and I think it's in Luke 14 where Jesus says, and, and um, you know, when you give a party, uh, don't just invite your rich friends and neighbors. Mm. Um, but what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, all these people, because they cannot repay you. Right. And and then then Jesus goes on and says, um, and and do this thing because this is what will create blessing, and you will get your repayment at the resurrection of the righteous. And so, in other words, Jesus says, um, okay, even if you're rich, even if you're higher status, you go ahead and have your party, but don't invite your friends because you're just expecting them to invite you back. Mm. Um, instead, invite all these lower status people, but don't put them in your control. Expect nothing, no repayment in return. And that's what the blessing is going to be. Oh, and by the way, one day in a really long time from now, after you're dead, I'll bless you. Wow. And so essentially Jesus is putting the reward, the repayment so far out in the future as to make it completely irrelevant to how people are living in the world now. And, and it's a, just an amazing vision of what, what a table really means. Mm -hmm. And that is, the table really is to upset the hierarchical structure of benefits and benefactors and social control. Oh, I love that. I love that. Good juice. Some- well, and, and just, to, uh, you know, sort of to wrap up, you know, with, with where you started. Now, if you think about the American Thanksgiving table, mm. okay, <laughs> that puts it in a whole, different context you know instead of it being um i mean the the mythology of it is really right and the mythology was that these two groups of people from completely different parts of the world could come together and actually share a table and share food without any expectations of control manipulation or or any of that but instead but instead can really share and so that's the biblical story, and lo and behold, it winds up probably quite accidentally being the primary vision of what the American story is supposed to be about. Oh, we didn't even plan this to work this no. way. No, we did not. So good. Diana Butler, bastard president. Gosh. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> Got my vote. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll make you Secretary of State, Adam. <laughs> And John can be my chief of staff. I, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I can't accept I, that gift, Diana. I, I just can't accept it. right now. <laughs> <laughs> every every day, it, it seems every day. <laughs> so good. Oh but man, it, it really is an amazing topic, and you know, it it threads gratitude threads through our lives in ways we don't even uh, pay. You know, we don't pay attention to, but yet it's not only you know what I was talking about in terms of my own story and getting out of being fired. And there are several stories in the book. Mm. I don't want to sort of steal all the juice for uh, readers, but um, 
one of the things I knew when I wrote this book is that the last thing the world needed was one more gratitude book by a, a nice white lady. <laughs> <laughs> like a mega church pastor's wife kind of deal. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, and, and I thought to myself, okay, well, this means what I'm going to have to do is throw myself into the story and be very vulnerable mm. about uh, the places where I did not feel grateful. And so I tell the story of being firing, fired, and I also tell some other stories. Mm. And, um, and, and to do that, it was not a way of, you know, making people pity me, but was really truly to put myself on the, the short end of the gratitude story. Mm. That I have rarely, rarely been the benefactor standing at the top of the pyramid handing out my goodies is that I have more often been the person who was abused by a system Mm. and, and to learn gratitude there um, has been, you know, something that changed me personally. And, um, and I still struggle with it. It's not that all of it's perfect, Um, but I've really learned a lot and I'm happy to share those things. Um, as I can and open the conversation up for all of us to share. Um, and then the other piece is that, that you know, the, the real surprise is that it's a communal thing as well. Mm. And to, to see it so strongly in our political life being so powerfully misused right now um, by people in power. And yet also at the same time to recognize that there is, I, I think, um, certainly throughout Western culture, I think there's a real longing to set a different kind of table and we just don't know how to get there. Yeah. And, um, you know, right now it's been, I think easier for people to try to reestablish pyramids of power. You know, they think that that's going to fix everything, but what that's going to do is just push us deeper into our own destruction. And so what we really need to do is to figure out how to live into um, the deepest stories of our faith, and I've talked, I've talked from a Christian perspective, but these, this, I use a lot of stories from Hebrew Scripture. The, the Old Testament is just packed full of beautiful stuff about thanksgiving and gratitude and what gratefulness is and what it means to live a jubilee life and a debt-free society. Mm. Gorgeous, gorgeous vision. And then, of course, Islam has these same concepts, and so does Buddhism and Hinduism and Sikhism. And um, so what I really am dreaming of is a, a pluralistic America where we can all draw from these deep wells of our, our traditions and rediscover gratitude. And then also recognize that the American story has always held out a promise of a grateful society. Mm. And that if we walk into gratitude and learn its deepest lessons of humility, of um, abundance, of, of, of joy, um, that our politics might change. Uh, I hope so. Dang. I hope so. Oh man. Um, amazing. Yeah. I just, I, I, I have hope when I hear people like you, uh, say things like that, that, that there's still, still hope that, you know, particularly for us in the United States that we could, we could still reach that ideal state. Uh, you know, being the America that, that we set out to be, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So, and you, uh, and you know what, like the, what you're describing, um, struggling through what it would really mean to set up a community of tables like that. The reason we don't do it for the most part is because it's super complex. It's super difficult 
there's no formula for it that's that's easy to execute. Like setting up a pyramid is simple. It's, <laughs> it's simple. It's it makes complete basic sense to most people. It's easy to talk about. It's mm-hmm. it's you can here's how it's going to work. You can predict. It requires no faith. It requires no trust. What you're talking about requires a lot of faith and a lot of trust and a lot of humility. Well, I think you know. Uh, as we wrap up, it's really important to remember that we see these things from different angles. And that is, yeah, it's easy for um, white people who have been in power to talk about pyramids. Yeah. Because that's what we've known. Right. That's what we inherited. That's what our ancestors were really good at building. But there are lots of other cultures, even that are readily, you know, in proximity to us that have entirely different ideas of mm. how to how to construct a, a community and a culture. Mm. And, um, you know, I got a lot of friends who are Native Americans. Yeah. The, those people who died in that genocide, they're, they did not go around building pyramids right. primarily. You know, um, some in Latin America, yes. But here in this part, they were building kivas. Mm. And, and, uh, you know, their architectures are so often that of the circle and, you know, you have these sort of tribal councils and other sorts of ways of thinking about society and even European societies, some of them were not shaped like pyramids. Uh, Celtic, ancient Celtic society was much more, uh, uh, conceived of as a, as a community that was circular now, they, they did have a language of a high king, but a high king sat within a circle of, of people who were a community together. Mm. And, um, and so uh, there are other options. Yeah, right. The, the, re- the reason we have the pyramids and the reason we think that the pyramids are easy to build is because we're skilled at it. Yep. And so the, uh, the, the real calling now is to see what we haven't seen quite so easily. Mm. To be willing to learn from people who are skilled at setting tables and to then try something new in Western society. And you know what? That's probably needed. Yeah. And that, my friends, (laughs) is how gratitude is a feeling and an action. And it starts with you and it goes to everybody. Definitely pick up Diana Butler Bass's new book. So before we let you go, though, where can people find you on social media? Where can they keep on top of what you're, what you're up to? And where can people get this awesome book? People may want to book you to come give a sermon, you know? Yeah. Well, um, I'm pretty easy to find on social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Um, I have a good website, and the website lists where I'm going to be and sort of news and events, all sorts of stuff that I'm doing. And um, I'm, I'm out there. I'm on Twitter and Facebook most every day, and I do my best to actually respond to people. Yes. So, and and there are ways of getting me through the website. You can send me messages, and uh, I do have a person who handles my my booking requests. And so, all those things are out there. And I'm be thrilled to talk to you more about gratitude. Uh, and the book will be available April third. 
major bookstores, online sellers, and of course, my all-time favorite is to say, do not forget your independent bookseller. Yes. Um, and uh, if there is an independent bookseller in your town, please go and ask them to order it for you or ask them to have it in stock. And especially if you're a church or faith group or some sort of spirituality community, um, do do your group ordering through those independents. Awesome. Well, thanks for the time tonight, man. This has just been so much fun, and we can't wait until you get busy writing another book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everybody's now asking me. After, after Grounded and, gra- and Grateful, they're saying, well, what's the next one? Grovel? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. But I, I don't know if I'm going to stick with the GRs or go on to something else, but um, I got a couple ideas, and I'll, I'll share those when it's appropriate. Fantastic. Thank you again. Well, thank you, guys, and uh, keep deconstructing. Absolutely. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, the more we deconstruct, the more space there is to reconstruct something. Absolutely. Amen. That's what it's all about. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Never fails. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. Exploration of gratefulness. <laughs> she's she's always she's always such uh, like just an incredibly kind person, but she's so knowledgeable. I mean she's so feisty too. Oh, I love that part. Dude, she's so feisty. That is not the only reason, but that is I, if I'm being honest, the main reason I follow her on social media. I like feisty people, yeah. man. Yeah. I like feisty people. And she 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 can back up, she can back it up. That's she what I like. She can back it up. She can back it up. <laughs> and um uh, you know what I loved about this episode is in comparison to our to our first one is there was a level of familiarity. So we were able to just kind of riff in some of those places about just like things that we were thinking that were just a corollary to the material that we were talking about. Just getting to like take that idea of gratefulness and, and expand it into some of those other areas. I mean, we got into politics a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it's where it goes. Yep. And that's, um, that's the beauty of getting to do this. So yeah, hopefully people found it as enriching as we did. Well, I thought I thought the timing of of this particular topic was um, was good because it's it's easy to look at the news these days, especially and and think, man, we are such an ungrateful. I mean, I'll say nation because I'll speak on behalf of all Americans. You're welcome. Oh, oh yeah, but, but uh, we're, we're very much a fast paced uh, culture. You know, like more, more, more. I want this. I want this. I want this. And and all of our marketing is geared towards that. And so. It, it's it kind of falls by the wayside, and you kind of forget to take a moment to just be grateful for what you have. And I mean, even I think we talked about this in in an earlier episode um, from season one, where we talked about even our prayer lives are centered around almost like an Amazon shopping list. Hundred percent. Like, please, Lord, give me this, and I want this, and give me this, and I just it's like bring, I just want to bring this request before you. <laughs> yes, yes, humbly. I just want to humbly bring, bring this request before you. <laughs> when when I feel like you know, God or the divine is kind of sitting there going like, it would just be nice if you would just recognize the grace that's been around you this whole time. Yeah. Before you start asking for things. Yeah. You just realize how good we have it. Right. Like even on our worst day for most, for most Americans, at least is better than a lot of people who are living 
you know, in other parts of the world. And it's like, we should probably take time to recognize that and say thanks once in a while. Man. It's good. That was good, John. Thanks, man. It's a nice thought. We are the world. <laughs> and, and, and only the older folks are going to get that reference. That's yeah. okay. That's yeah. all right. I've been getting emails this week, as you know. Yes. How to get ripped after 40. I'm like, calm down. So We're I'm not there yet. Not, not quite 40. <laughs> nope. John is, just for you listeners out there that are wondering, John is not 40. I'm definitely not 40. So Close, um, but not quite. <laughs> I'm grateful for the people that engage in this journey with us. Yes. I'm grateful for those that want to learn to listen. Yes. I'm grateful for the friends that we've met mm. along this way. Um, I'm grateful that I think I've grown a little in just humility. Yeah. Uh, because of this journey. Um, there's so many things that I was thinking about, even just reading Diana, Diana's book on, on gratefulness, that it should be one of the main structures of our lives. And I think, I think it maybe is, but the problem is we don't bring ourselves to an awareness of it. And that's why I'm such a, you know, shameless plug for Roar again, the whole like the <laughs> contemplative tradition that he brings I think the first thing that you see when you start to get away from that non-dual or you get into non-dual and you stop that like dualistic thinking is you start to like everything belongs like Roar's book. Like it's, there's a thankfulness for just all of it, like everything that's just, there's, I'm grateful. Yeah. You become aware. Yep. You contemplate, you become aware and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm grateful. Yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah. Wow. But I think it's an intentional practice like she talks about. It's like something that you have to uh, intentionally implement into your routine until it becomes habit. Yes. What about that whole bit that we were talking about, like communion and the Thanksgiving meal and how that's, you know, essentially just this unbelievable metaphor for how what life is supposed to be. Yeah. Like it's a picture of like the essence of ultimate reality. Yeah. And that, oh, that Eucharistic move of, of reality, like, oh man, that was, that was good stuff. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Denver, baby. Denver, April 28th. Get, get your tickets. Get your tickets. There's still some tickets left. So we want to see you all. So come hang out with us. Um, have a beverage. I want to hear your Grab stories. A Tell us your story. Your cool theological twists and turns. We'll have quizzes. <laughs> Lots of quizzes. Lots of quizzes. John, is, John purchased a Scantron machine. I did. And he's bringing the Scantron machine, and we're going to take Scantron tests and, and, then, so gra- only, and then grade them. Only number two pencils, because the Scantron will not pick up anything other than... Isn't that, wasn't bring, that right? Bring your number two pencils. <laughs> That's right. I can't remember. Wouldn't that be cool if we had a Scantron? Dude. No, it wouldn't be cool at all. That'd my, be horrible. My 20th class reunion's coming up this summer, oh, so. Gross. I know. <laughs> How did that happen? Oh, because you graduated when you were 12. That's true. Yes. That's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> oh, we love you guys. It's always fun hanging out with you. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we are just here for you. I'm tired. I am too, and I... <laughs> And, and, and I have no idea who the band is this week because my life is in complete disorder. Adam is sitting directly to the right of a giant stack of my clothes that has migrated into my office as we try to move houses. So yeah, John is having to move. Please continue to forgive us for everything we are not getting to right now. And thank you for bearing with us in our fragile humanity. Yes. We have, we have all the things that I have not shipped yet. If I haven't gotten to it within the next month, please let me know. Uh, feel free to email me. Um, and uh, likewise, for those who signed up for the Skype 
calls. Um, I am getting to uh, the setup of uh, yeah, you an just online. Saw, did that today? I saw that. Yeah, very good. So there's a website you'll be able to go to, and you'll be able to sign up for uh, um, time slots and stuff. So that'll be coming out soon. Don't worry, we have not forgotten about you. Beautiful. It will happen. <laughs> so good. This All right. Year. Well, um, thanks for thanks for tuning in, everybody. And we are your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock, and I'm John Williamson. Keep deconstructing. Some hope of an archetype But never growed of it Mom's old church friends Thought so anyways Broken cash is how I've grown up And no real diet is all I've known And my body fights against me On most days I feel so ignorant But I could never give up Anybody ever know when they got what they want? All my hopes are up on the ceiling, and all my friends are high, and I can't keep up. I can't keep up. Give me something I can't believe in, cause all my friends are high. Sleep in a walk-in closet just so that I could make a page of us. I stopped asking God for any praise. And I can't tell who's on my side when the halls reverberate behind me. Like I'm the only one that makes mistakes. Does anybody know? When it's time to grow up I know I'm getting old But it feels like summer stuck Oh, all my hopes hang up on the ceiling And all my friends are high And I can't keep up I can't keep up Give me something I can't believe in I can't keep up, no Every day you fight to decide what you want Choose it or deny being someone you like so I was told to lay it at the feet of someone who had a son difference between you and me is I would do most anything cause I don't want to feel relief no I just want the remedy
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.